This is recording number 10997 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 15, 2012. This is the eighth message in a study of the Bible's book of Hebrews. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Way of Boldness. Hebrews and then the 10th chapter, and we're going to continue our study of this book that we began several weeks ago, talking about the new and living way that Christ has opened up for us. And we're actually going to, in the passage today, we're going to be looking at the passage where that key verse is found, the theme verse for this study. And we've been talking about different facets, like the the facets of a gemstone that give off little different components of the sparkle of the light of God as we look at what this book reveals about this new and living way that Christ has opened up for us to right and restored relationship with God. So we've been talking about, as I said, different facets of what that means. And today we come to look at the fact that the way, this way that Christ has opened up for us is a way of boldness. The way of boldness. Now, most of us, when we think of the word bold or being bold or, or having boldness, um, though, though we might not directly connect these two words in our experience, they are almost always connected that a person we would consider to be bold is someone who is also kind of arrogant. And they have a... a a bravado about them, a, a you know, a, a brassiness about them, a kind of a. Sometimes we think of it as sort of an overconfidence, and, and that's not what God or a pseudo confidence. That's not what God um, wants to for us to see in this passage about what He has called each of us to. And so, to illustrate what what I believe the passage before us describes about boldness, I'm going to tell you a brief story, and I, and I don't actually, it won't be all that brief. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I usually don't think that stories, you know, personal stories, are of huge benefit, and I don't like to spend a lot of time on, on them when we're together to open God's Word. What we're after is what God has to say, not what somebody has experienced. But, but sometimes, those experiences and those little stories can help us to see Scripture in a different light. And I think that might be the case today. So I'm going to tell you a little story out of my own life that I think illustrates what we're encountering here in this passage about boldness. But before I tell you the story, let's read the passage. Verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brethren. Remember, every time you see that word therefore in the Scripture, always ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, this therefore is there. Because it's beginning now to summarize all that's gone before. Over these past weeks as we've been looking at this uh, wonderful book, we have seen so many glorious things about the new and living way. And the writer of the book of Hebrews now is saying, because all of that is true, brethren, 
having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. You recognize already these are subjects we've discussed as we've gone through the book of Hebrews. Things that he's talked about. And having a high priest over the house of uh, God, verse 21 says in 22, let us, and now we get into what I call the Bible's let us patch. <laughs> let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You ever been in over your head? You know, I worked for a while at a, when I was planting a church, when we were planting a church. I've never done anything in ministry alone. Thank God, that would be a horrific mess. I have this incredible partner that God has given me. But we were planting a church in San Jose, and during that period of time, at least in the initial stages of it, actually all the way through, now that I think about it, I was working outside of the church, and I, uh, um, uh, part-time, for part of the time, and, and full-time another part of the time. But anyway, I, I ended up working in a, uh, high-tech company as an accountant. I have no background in accounting whatsoever. It just happened to be that I got this job because, because of God. I mean, it, that's all there is to it. Um, <clears throat> but I was working for an accountant, as an accountant for a high-tech firm that at one point was the, um, you know, had the highest uh, market cap, market capitalization of any company in the world, including Microsoft. It was a big company I was an accountant. <laughs> and I would go to these meetings and I'd sit down and every single time I'd think, these people, they don't realize I know nothing. <laughs> I'm sure you've been in that situation before where you were over your head. And, and the awkwardness and discomfort and the agitation that you can feel in those times. I want to tell you about another one of those times. I was, uh, it was very early in our marriage so I'm probably only I don't know maybe 19 or 20 at the most and I was uh, in those days I was making my living in, in uh, music <laughs> making a living was sort of it's not really true but <laughs> I was trying to anyway um, and I got invited just by this odd bizarre uh, happenstance I mean there isn't any such thing as a bizarre happenstance with God right but you know, from my vantage point, it was just like the weirdest thing in the world. But I got invited to be part of a, of a recording project. The guy who had written the, the music was a legend at the time. He was also the director and the, and the producer of the project, a guy named Jimmy Owens. He and his wife, Jimmy and Carol. I mean, this is way before any of your time, but they were, they were legendary. And they, were, they had invited me to their home for rehearsals prior to the recording sessions. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm something of a musician. I know how to read music. And I have some background in it. And I, I've been trying to write some songs and stuff. And I could carry a tune a little bit. And I'd been in choir and stuff. But I pulled up to their house. And they had this, you know, as you can imagine, they have this great big home. And, you know, it's very... I'm already feeling, you know, that they don't realize I know nothing. <laughs> 
I get out of my car, and there's all these other cars that are coming and parking, and people are getting out and stuff. And, you know, I have, I have this huge uh, re- uh, recording. Now, we called them records in those days, but I had this huge music library at home. And it was like all of the people from my music library were getting out of cars and going into this house. And I'm like, can I have your autograph, you know? And, and I, I, I was... So I go in the house and I try to get as far away from everybody as I could because I, I'm thinking, you know, pretty soon Jimmy's going to come out here. He's going to say, what are you doing here? Security's going to get rid of me. I know, just any minute. And so I'm just like in awe. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. Everybody that, I was, that were my music heroes were there. And it was like, What? And then Jimmy Owens, he says, okay, everybody, the music's in, over here in this room. I want you to file through, pick up your manuscripts, and we're going to come back and start. And I find myself, you know, in line with these people, and I go through and I pick up all my music. Now, how many of you know how to read music? A few of us. Okay. Now, those of you who know how to read music, if I asked you right now to sing for me a D above middle C, could you do it? Even if you knew what it was, could you just do it like that? Okay. Well, they get us all in the room. Jimmy picks up his baton. I've got a pile like this of music in front of me, of songs I've never heard before. He says, Randy, I want you to stand over here. Remember this. He goes, Randy, I want you to stand over here by... I was surprised you knew my name. Randy, I want you to stand over here by Matthew Ward. This guy was my, my ultimate musical hero. He says that you and Matt are going to be first tenors. So find the first tenor line. He's, he's doing the same with everybody. I want you to use your parts. Here we go. Just like that. I have never felt so intimidated or insecure in my entire life. Just to let you know what I was up against, here's a little clip that I found on the internet of a live uh, recording of Matthew Ward. This is the guy standing next to me. me next to that guy <laughs> said you guys carry <laughs> you guys carry the first tenor part I am telling you I, I was just overwhelmed I never ever before or since I felt so out of place and like I didn't belong and I was I, I, I went home that night and I thought how, how do I get out of this you know how do I not make, go on making a fool of myself and, um, and I, I won't tell you the story about how the Lord helped me uh, because it's a little longer. But 
than I want to take right now. But what I will tell you is that the Lord helped me to understand something about boldness. Because the kind of boldness that is referred to in the passage that we just read is not an arrogance, not a pseudo-confidence, which I was tempted to employ. Oh, I, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, that whole thing that you kind of do just to make yourself, you know, not feel so weird or, or whatever. But that's not what this is. Boldness in this passage has to do with an assurance. An assurance. And what the Lord was alone at home that night when I was trying to figure out how I was going to get out of this gracefully, the Lord was saying to me, No, I have you here. I have arranged this. You don't deserve it. <laughs> yeah, I got that, Lord. You don't deserve it. But that is meaningless. I have invited you into this. Be assured. This is where I have you. This is what I have in mind for you. When that kind of assurance, when that kind of spiritual confidence seeps into your spiritual bones, it changes the way you live and the way you live out your faith. We've all met people who, you know, are... They're, I'm not questioning that whether they're a Christian or not, but we've all met people who have sort of a, a spiritual bravado. You know, they want to impress you with how spiritual they are. And, you, you know, it's not fooling anybody. We all, we get, I mean, we're kind of repulsed by it, right? But when the genuine article shows up, in that quiet, confident assurance... I had a lady one time, she came up to me and she said, I, I was really struggling with stuff in, in my life at that time and she'd been part of a prayer team that was praying over me and not seeming to get anywhere and so we kind of just wrapped up for the day and I was leaving sort of discouraged. She grabbed me by the shirt and she very quietly, she said, Randy, I want you to consider three things and she said these three words to me. But she said them with such a force of assurance and confidence. I knew it was the voice of the Lord. And it began to change my life radically. She didn't have to, you know, say, Thus saith the Lord, you know. She didn't have to do all that kind of stuff, that false boldness that she had to generate, which is a lot of times what we think of is, our, is required for us. To be bold in the Lord. It's not a false thing. It's a genuine thing. And it comes from feeling as though you've been invited by the Lord into this. Assurance. Confidence. That this is your place. This is what I've given you. So we're going to talk about this, this aspect of boldness that has to do with four things that I see in this passage. And we're going to take just about five or ten minutes to do it. First... We've been asked or we've been invited into uh, a boldness to enter the holiest. That's what verse 19 says. It's already been referred to this morning. The holiest was the, the place in the tabernacle or the temple that was set apart from every other, every other part of the, of the property by a veil. And the high priest is the only one who could go in there. And he could only go in there once a year. We've talked about this in the past few weeks. But the Lord seems to be kind of pressing this back uh, on us again and again. So I'm going to linger here just a moment. 
We have assurance, dear one. If you have given your life to Christ, if you've crossed from doubt into faith and become a Christ follower, be assured. You belong in the holiest. Not by anything you've earned or anything that you deserve, but because Jesus has opened it up to you. We are not separated from the most holy place any longer. By a new and living way, this, this, this access to the holiest, this access to the, to the heart of God has been opened up for us by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh. Let me explain. The thing that separated humankind, mankind from God was what? Sin. We were born into it. We were born under the curse of sin. Our flesh, the sin of our flesh, separated us from God. It says here that Jesus opened up a new and living way for us. The veil, that veil, the veil of, that separated us from God, the veil of my sinful flesh, Jesus opened up for us by allowing His flesh to be crucified, to be torn asunder. So when He died on the cross... When he breathed his last on the cross, the scripture says that the veil, the symbolic veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. He took on himself our sin. The Bible says he became sin for us. Can you imagine? The, the father and the son. I, th there's no way to describe this. All I can do is give it my best shot. But the father and the son and the Holy Spirit Three persons, one in essence, through all time and eternity, forever and ever. On the cross, Jesus cries out and says, My, says, Father, why have you forsaken me? There was a rending, somehow a rending of the fabric of relationship there that had to do with the fact that Jesus was saying, Come on, bring me your darkness. Bring me your evil. Bring me your sin. Put it on me. All of it. Put it on me. He became sin for us. And it was a rending of the fabric of the relationship somehow that's hard to describe or imagine or explain theologically that was happening there. And, but Jesus gave voice to it. Father, why have you forsaken me? Because God can't have relationship. A holy God cannot have relationship with sin. But when, he, when his, the veil of his flesh was torn apart, The way was opened for you and me. And now we belong there. We belong with God. It is not presumptuous. You don't have to stand, uh, you know, you don't have to be a wallflower in, the, wallflower in the presence of God. You don't have to be looking for security to escort you out. They aren't coming. You belong there. In the very deepest heart of God, that's where you belong and be assured of that. It's positional. Then it goes on to say, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We have been invited to draw near. So not only are we welcome into the holy place, but we're invited. Because of what Jesus has done, let's get as close as we can let's draw as near as we can i love it when i make my way through the 
uh, the facilities here, and the little kids come and they grab a hold of me and let me just, I mean, they, it's funny because I do sort of represent an authority figure, right? But that doesn't seem to have been transmitted down to the little kids yet, <laughs> which I love. I mean, they just don't hesitate. They calmly jump all over me, and that's, I love that. When my grandchildren come to visit, the service is over, and I'm here, and everybody's kind of keeping a respectful distance as they make their way out. My grandson is running down the aisle to jump on me because he knows he belongs there. He belongs in my arms. There's no hesitation. There's a boldness there that's a righteous boldness and assurance. This is where I belong. I've been invited in there. So not only to enter the holiest, but to draw near. Then verse 23 says, "Let us have because of this boldness that we've been given, let us con, um, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Dear one, we, we've discussed this, so I won't go into detail, but we have magnificent promises from God that you can hold tightly to. They will not move. We have a boldness to grip those promises as our own and hold fast to them when everything around us is shaking. And then finally, we have a boldness and assurance that allows us to consider one another. Verse 24, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let me just talk about that a little bit as we conclude. Because a lot of times, Christians, um, myself included, we start to get this about me and my relationship with God. And, and it begins to, to, to settle in that, look, I'm not, I'm not a stranger anymore. I'm, I've been brought into the family of God. I'm welcome in his presence, I, I, I have the assurance that I can come and, and draw near to him. And, and I'm welcome there. And, and it starts to change us. But at some point, that boldness, that assurance, begin, should begin to cause us to look around. That it's not just about me. Because something is happening with me, uh, now I can participate in what God is doing in lives around me too. It's not just me. It's not just about me. He says, because we have this boldness, let us consider one another. And that word consider means to fully apprise one another. When you came in here this morning and took your seat, surely you were aware that there was somebody next to you. But I know as much as you know how to be, do the thing where I'm standing next to a person and blocking them completely out. But this passage says, because we have assurance in God that we are His, I don't have to be insecure about what you think or don't think, what you do or don't do, and I can consider you. What are your needs? How could God use me to help you? When we have this kind of boldness, then ministry starts to happen among people. Consider one another to stir up love and good works. That word stir up means to provoke or to incite. You know, I have a group of friends that I've had for 
I don't want to tell you how long. You know. Um, more than 40 years. And uh, they, they, these guys and their wives and families, uh, you know, having them in my life is a huge, huge treasure. But we will often joke about how, and, but it's not a joke, it's the absolute truth. How having these relationships have kept us saved. Because I'm secure in God and what he's done in me, I can get in your face and provoke you to love and good works. I can be that one that says, John, don't give up. And did you realize that this was not, maybe not working in your life? Can I give you a little input into that? And let's pray together about that. I'm not intruding or imposing. I'm simply considering fully those that God has surrounded me in life with and, and I'm going to begin to proke, uh, provoke and provide and incite you. I want to get you worked up about loving God and pursuing Him just like me. What if we did that for each other? What if instead of letting somebody kind of drift off, we provoke them to love and good works? That can only happen if you have a, that kind of boldness that Paul, or that the... <laughs> Let it slip there again. That the writer of the book of Hebrews as describes this boldness. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know, this is the thing. Pastors love this passage because we can whip it out to try to make you feel guilty about not being at a meeting. <laughs> <clears throat> but that's not what this is here for. This is here to remind us that our gatherings together are, are mo mainly about the experience together. I, I come to be with you here. Of course I come to be with God. But this is not just an isolated thing between he and I. I can do that at home. We, we assemble together for one another. Don't, dear one, don't get into the habit of coming to anything that we would ever offer as part of the life of this church for what you would get out of it. Please don't. If we have this, this mentality. If we allow it to begin to breed. And, and reproduce among us. Where we're all just little isolated observers. And spectators. I don't want any part of that. And you don't either. We come together because we need each other. And we experience God together. As we, as we um, fellowship. I add to you, you add to me. When, when you get out of your car in the parking lot, ask the Lord, how can I serve you today? Who can I minister to? Because in that process, God will meet all your needs as well. So, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as does the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Exhorting. That word means to encourage. To encourage. It's like the, you know, it's like the people on the sidelines as you're running your race and starting to kind of, you know, we were talking yesterday in the Men's Institute about runners and the term, the wall, where they, marathoners and long-distance runners, they hit this, this spot in their Experience where they just can't go any farther and it takes a sheer force of their will to press through that wall. Uh, when, 
one of the things that helps them, they, they say, is when the people on the sidelines are cheering them on. Helps them to break through that barrier and that wall so they can move forward. Let's be that for one another. Let's encourage one another.